0: Amen. If you've missed any of the messages so far, like I said, we're on the fourth word this evening, the fourth phrase that was echoed from the Calvary's cross. But if you've missed any of the messages in the series thus far, I want you to know that you can always listen to them online. You can always purchase a CD at the Media Center. But either way, I encourage you, especially with this series, all of my series, but with this series, I encourage you to hear all of them because they're important, church. Not because I'm the one preaching them, but because Jesus spoke them on Calvary's cross. Amen. And if Calvary's cross or the cross of Christ is that critical and crucial to our faith, like I've said every week, then so should the words be that Jesus spoke from the cross. Amen. Because every single one of those words have a meaning. And when you put them all together, it gives us a better understanding of exactly what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross. Amen. So if you haven't been with us real quickly, I won't waste your time. But the first word, as we've already learned, that was spoken from Calvary's cross was, Father, forgive them. And that word reminds us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. It reminds us that there are none that are righteous, no, not one, and that we all need forgiveness and that we all need a Redeemer, church. Father, forgive them is the foundation of our faith, and it's why it was the first word Jesus spoke from the cross. It reminds us that that's what the cross was all about. It was all about our forgiveness. The second word spoken by Christ was to a common criminal. Today you will be with me in paradise, he said, reminding us of the promise of eternal life. How many of you are thankful for the promise of eternal life? Amen. These words remind us that we all have a higher hope. These words remind us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart like this common crook did, that Jesus Christ was Lord, that we too might be saved. These simple words remind us that as difficult and painful and unsatisfying as life can often be here on this earth, we can all look forward to the day when we too will be with Him in paradise. Amen? And you know, I don't know about you, but there's sometimes, and I was just sharing with somebody in my office today or this evening, that prayer, come quickly, Lord. Because that's how this world can be and that's how this life can be. And I believe that should always be on our tongue. Come quickly, Lord, because we want to be with you in paradise. Because this world has disappointed us and this world has let us down and this world is getting more evil every day. Amen. But the second word reminds us that there is a day that we can look forward to when we will see him face to face in glory. Amen. The third word uttered by Jesus was mother, behold, thy son and son, behold, thy mother, reminding us that we are now part of God's family, reminding us that we are now part of one body, reminding us that we are all now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. It reminds us that Jesus died so that I can call you brother and I can call you sister and that you can call me the same. Amen. It reminds us that we are now one family and that he is our Abba Father. And the fourth word which we will look at tonight was this, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in order to better comprehend the depth and the meaning of these words, we have to understand that the first three words were spoken with the voice of divinity, for only divinity can offer us forgiveness. Only divinity can make the promise of eternal life. Only divinity can connect us to the family of God through adoption and through Jesus Christ. Only divinity has the power to take two complete strangers from two different walks of life and and make them brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in the fourth word, In the middle phrase of seven phrases that Jesus cried out from Calvary's cross, Jesus cries out here with a voice of humanity. On the center cross with this central phrase, Jesus reminds us exactly who is hanging there. He reminds us with this fourth phrase, with the loudest and deepest of all of his cries, that he became flesh. And dwelt among us. He reminds us that he took on our likeness, church, and stepped into our skin. In this fourth phrase, he reminds us that he understands, church, all of our sufferings and all of our pains. With this cry of humanity and this loud cry, he reminds us that he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. With all of our griefs and all of our sorrows, just like Scripture says. And I don't know about you, but I am glad that I have a God that is intimately acquainted with all of my ways. That He understands all of my griefs and understands all of my sorrows. And not only understands them, but bore them on Calvary's cross. I don't know another God that was willing to do that. But our God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took all of our griefs and all of our sorrows. And He carried them all the way to Calvary's cross. Beaten and battered disfigured and degraded renounced and rejected jesus cries out to the father not with a voice of divinity like he did in the first three phrases as he hung on calvary's cross but here he cries out with the voice of humanity instead remember jesus was fully god and fully man all at the same time and here he cried out as man now listen this, this phrase that Jesus cried, I could probably take an entire month to try to break it down for you, to try to get into all of the theology and give you a, a, a deep, better understanding, but I don't have the time to do that. So all I'm going to try to do tonight is to give you a better understanding, a simple, better understanding of exactly what Jesus meant and exactly what was happen- happening as he uttered this fourth phrase praise. In all reality, this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me was humanity's cry. In all reality, it was our cry. It was the cry of all mankind. And it's recorded in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. But we're going to look at verse 25 all the way to 34. And this is what the word of the Lord says. This is the, the basis of our Text this evening and I'm reading all of these verses just to just to help you understand what has led up to this cry. I mean, you'd have to go all the way back to John chapter six, verse 66 to begin to, to understand the depth of this cry. But here it says it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews, and it was placed upon his cross. They crucified two rebels with him, one on the right and one on his left. I just want you to picture this event. We've, we've learned a lot so far, but to give you a better understanding of his cry... They crucified two rebels with him, one on the right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests, the spiritual leaders and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, let this King of Israel come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And when twelve o'clock noon came, Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words are quite possibly the most heart-wrenching words that Jesus Christ ever spoke. These words were filled with the agony of the cross. They were filled with the guilt and the shame and the disgrace of the cross. These words were filled with a sense of separation from His Holy Father. My God! Picture it and understand it. My God, why hast Thou forsaken me? This was not a little whisper. This poured out from the depths of His soul. Why have You forgotten me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you left me alone in the midst of my misery? This was Jesus' fourth cry and phrase. In His most desperate moment in life, In the midst of his deepest agony and deepest pain, he senses a searing separation from the Father. And because of all that he had been through, church, after Judas had betrayed him and Peter had denied him and all of the other disciples had left him, after the crowds who once adored him and waved palm branches at him have now mocked him, after all that he had endured, his humanity gives voice to his emotions... And he cries out as a man, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Everyone else has left me. Everyone else has abandoned me. Everyone else has walked away from me. My God, why have you forsaken me as well? This was the deepest. Cry that Jesus Christ would ever cry. These are the deepest groans that would ever come forth from Jesus Christ. Why have you forsaken me? Understand, emptying himself of his divinity, his humanity cries out, church. Remember, the Bible tells us that even though he came in the form of God... He did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, the Bible says, and He took on our likeness. He put on our skin. He didn't just empty Himself of His will. He didn't just empty Himself of His wants and His ways. He emptied Himself of His divinity, church, and He took on our humanity. He became a man just like us. Please remember, Jesus Christ had to become a man in order to redeem mankind. He had to step into our skin in order to pay the penalty for our sin. Read Hebrews chapter uh, 1 or 10 uh, verses 1 through 18 and you'll find that in more detail. And the reality is unless he did, unless he climbed into our skin, church, we could not be saved Because scripture teaches us in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 that without the shedding of the blood there is no removal of sin. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin, the Bible says. And Jesus had to shed His blood as a man. In order for us to find salvation. This is what was taking place on Calvary's cross. This is what was behind the fourth cry of Jesus as he hung suspended between heaven and earth. The truth is Jesus had to suffer and die as a man because he was paying the penalty for man's sin. And here, for a brief moment in all of time, Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. For this brief moment in all of time, the Father turned away from the Son so that He could now and forevermore look upon you and me. He turned away from the Son so that He could turn towards you and me. What this tells us, church, and what this teaches us is that we should have been the ones on the cross. We are the ones that God should have looked away from. We are the ones that should have felt that pain. We are the ones that should have felt that separation, church. But here, the precious Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of the Father, full of mercy and grace, endures a searing sense of separation from the Father because of our sin, because of our iniquity, because of our unrighteousness, because of our stubbornness, because of our disobedience church so that we might be accepted. He endured this searing sense of separation from his father so that we might be able to stand blameless before the father with great joy so that we might be able to enter boldly into his throne room of grace so that we might find help in our time of need. Jesus was rejected so that we might be accepted. And we need to be thankful for that. Amen. Like I said, we should have sensed the separation. We should have been rejected, but full of mercy and full of grace, Jesus took our place. Amen. Please note, Jesus cried out, my God, my God. He didn't cry, Abba Father, like he did, does in most, almost every one of his other prayers. He cried out, My God, My God! He didn't cry out, Abba Father, as he did in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, when he asked the Father to take away the cup of his suffering. Read it, Abba Father, he said. Abba, Father, not my God, not my God. Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup from me, he said, yet not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but thy will. Please understand, this was divinity's cry. This was divinity's prayer. What we have to understand is that in the garden, Jesus cried out as the Son of God to Abba, Father. But on the cross, in the only moment of all eternity, Jesus cried out as the Son of Man. In the fullness of His humanity, not divinity, He cried aloud and questioned God. My God, my God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, the full weight of our enmity with God fell on Christ's shoulders here on Calvary's cross, the full hatred of God toward our sin was directed towards Jesus Christ. And for that moment in time, that brief moment in history, God had to look away. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The one who was Spotless, became soiled with your sin and my sin. The one who was innocent took on our guilt and our shame so that God could look at us today. It was in the midst of the the loneliness, in the midst of this abandonment that, that sin always produces, that Christ cried out with a loud voice, not once, but twice, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? What we have to understand is that it was Christ's humanity speaking and not divinity. What we have to understand is that these words were not original with Jesus. Now, I know that might sound heretical to you and it might mess up your theology, But these words were not a new prayer uttered by Jesus Christ. These words were a quote from the prophetic words of Psalm 22 that had already been spoken. Words that Jesus learned by heart as a child. Words that his parents taught him. Words that he learned in the temple. Words that he had to memorize. Words that he hid in the recesses of his heart so that he would not sin against his father. These were words Jesus already knew. The words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and I find no rest. He was quoting scriptures that he already knew. Here Jesus is doing what we so often do when we find ourselves on our own cross. When we're so wounded that sophisticated words and fancy words seem to escape us. When we're so afraid and so lonely and so lost in darkness and despair or depression, church. That lofty prayers fail to come to our mind and we're forced to reach into the recesses of memory and pray the only prayers that we know. Maybe it's the 23rd Psalm. Maybe it's the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it's the simple words of Peter, save me as he found himself sinking in the sea or whatever other words we can grab hold of in that moment of anguish, in that moment of pain, in that moment of darkness, in that moment of despair. The reality is, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his humanity, all Jesus could do was remember something buried deep within the soil of his soul. Words that had been hidden in his heart, church. And again, I don't want to mess with your theology. But you and I need to understand and remember that this was humanity crying out. It's just like us when darkness descends like it did in the middle of the day, like darkness descended at 12 o'clock in the afternoon and overtakes our heart. All Jesus could remember and all that came to his mind and all that came to his mouth was what he knew by heart. Something that could be said without having to think about it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? This is what was going on in his heart church. He might not have shared all of Psalm 22 as he was hanging on the cross. But how many of you know God knows the the meditations of our heart? And this was what was in the heart of Jesus Christ. Go home and read Psalm 22 and you will find divinity speaking and humanity speaking at the same time. In one breath he questions God and in the next breath he rests in God. In one breath, he wonders why on earth God is forsaking him and is so far away. But in the next breath, divinity speaks and trusts in God and praises God. Psalm 22 gives us the best picture of what was going on on Calvary's cross that you could ever read in Scripture. It was prophetic words. And this is what Jesus was meditating on as he hung on Calvary's cross, suspended between heaven and earth but here humanity cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me like i said i don't want to mess with your theology and i don't want you to think that i'm preaching some sort of uh, sort of heresy here but i'm trying to get you to understand that jesus christ died as a man what we have to understand is that this is our cry This is humanity's cry. This is you and me crying out under the pressure of our own cross. It's us calling out to God under the weight of our own suffering and under the weight of our own sin. It's our cry coming forth from the midst of our darkness. My God, my God, where are you when I need you the most? When we're suffering in sickness... When we've lost a loved one, when our marriage is falling apart, when our family is fractured, when we're hanging on our own cross of great sorrow, our cry is so often like that of Jesus Christ, my God, my God. Where are you when I need you the most? My God, have you forgotten about me? My God, don't you see what I'm going through? My God, can't you see that I need you? My God, don't you understand my suffering and understand my pain? My God, don't you care that we are perishing like the disciples cried out when they were caught in the midst of a storm so often? Our prayers are just like Jesus Christ because we too are made of flesh. And so often in the moments of our despair, as we're hanging on our own cross, we cry out the same thing. Our humanity comes forth. Listen, there's nothing wrong with humanity crying out. Please understand, Jesus didn't sin by questioning His Father. This is what we do with our God. He allows the, the depths of our heart and the deepest of our cries to echo forth into His presence. My God, why have you forsaken me? And He hears us, church. Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you understand my grief and my sorrow? Like I said, this is humanity's cry. Listen, if we would all be honest, most of us would admit we've been there. Amen. Most of us would admit that at some point in our life, the weight of our cross and the darkness of our despair has caused us to cry out and question God. Just like Jesus did. That's our humanity. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that church as long as we don't give up on God. As long as we don't deny Him. As long as we don't turn our back on Him. There's nothing wrong with our humanity crying out to God. What we have to understand is that even though God allows us to question Him, we must understand that this is humanity's cry because, listen to me, divinity never questions God. Divinity trusts in God. Divinity rests in God. Divinity puts its complete confidence in God just like Jesus in His divinity rested in the back of the boat, in the midst of a stormy sea, and just like after he cried out in humanity, his divinity rested on the cross as well, church. But here on Calvary's cross, as darkness descended upon Jesus' heart, as deeply and darkly as it descended upon the earth, church, Jesus cries out in the fullness of his humanity. Here in the fourth phrase, understand what's taking place. He identifies with you, and he identifies with me. Here with his fourth cry, in the middle of all of the phrases, he identifies with our weakness. He identifies with our pain and our suffering, with our griefs and with our sorrows, and he lets us know, I understand how you feel. I understand what you're going through. I understand the depths of your darkness. And I understand the depths of your despair. I understand the grief and the sorrow that you're going through. And I do not mind you crying out to me like I cried out to the Father. My God, where are you when I need you the most? You see, the devil and some people will try to tell you that God doesn't want you to cry out like that. There's some individuals that will try to teach you that it's a sin to question God like that. No, it's not. Jesus Himself cried out to the Father in the midst of His suffering and pain, just trying to find some form of comfort. In the midst of Calvary's cross, cry out, call out, ask God. Just don't turn your back on God. Just don't give up on God, church. Just hang in there just like Jesus did. Amen. As I wind this down, and I know we've got time, I want you to notice and understand that in his humanity, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you left me alone on the cross? But in His divinity, He stayed on the cross. In His divinity, church, He completed His call. In His divinity, He finished what He was sent out to do. And the reality is, we have to learn to do the same. Because as difficult as it is and as hard as it is, Jesus said, if any man come after Me... He must deny himself and take up his own cross and follow me. You see, the reality is somewhere in your life, if you've not felt it already, you will feel the weight of Jesus's cross. Somewhere in, you, in your life, you will feel the weight of that burden. You will feel the weight of that suffering. You will feel the weight of that grief. You will feel the weight of that sorrow. And there's nothing wrong with crying out to God. But what I want you to understand that in His divinity, He trusted God even without an answer. See, this was the only time in all of history that Jesus failed to get a response from His Father. This was the only time in all of eternity that the Father did not answer His Son. But in His divinity, He stayed on the cross anyway. In His divinity, He hung in there. In His divinity, He surrendered and submitted Himself and trusted and had complete confidence in the work of His Father that was taking place on Calvary's cross and we need to understand the same exact thing we might cry out in humanity but there has to be some form of divinity that helps us to endure the pain and the suffering There has to be a a divinity, a, a Christ-likeness. That's what divinity means, a Christ-likeness within us that says no matter how difficult this is or no matter how hard this is, no matter how far away you feel from me, God, I will endure. That's what he's trying to teach us here. And this is what Jesus Christ demonstrated even after he cried out to the Father. He stayed on the cross even when God did not answer him. Please notice, on the cross, Jesus didn't desire God's deliverance, but rather his presence. Two times, church, he had already asked. That the cup of suffering be removed from him when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. But remember, it was in that garden where he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And here on Calvary's cross, he trusted in God's will. Here on Calvary's cross, he trusted in God's divine plan. He trusted the work of the Father two times. He had already asked for the cup of suffering to pass from Him, but here he cried out for the Father's presence. My God, my God, where are you? You see, listen, the reality is we've been there. I've been there. You find yourself in the midst of this horrible, horrific anguish and sorrow and grief. And if you're like me, the thing that you value more than anything else is simply His presence. God where are you? God if you would just come into my situation. God, God if you would just show yourself. God, if I could just sense you and, and 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 be comforted by your presence. Jesus didn't ask as he hung on the cross. He didn't cry out, "God, why haven't you delivered me?" He didn't cry out, "God, why are you allowing me to suffer like this?" He didn't cry out, God, why have you not taken away this, this cup of pain and, and grief and sorrow? He said, my God, my God, where are you when I need you the most? And what he came to understand, he's God. Please, don't, I know this. I'm talking about him as a man. Like I'm talking about you as a man. But Jesus understood he stayed on the cross. Because he realized that God was right there with him on the cross. He realized that even though he felt forsaken, even though he felt abandoned, even though he felt like the Father was a million miles away, he rested in the fact and the understanding that he knew that his Father would never leave him or forsake him. Listen, the reality is you might feel like God's a million miles away tonight. You might feel like you're forsaken. You might feel like He's abandoned you. You might feel like He's forgotten all about you. You might feel like He doesn't care about your situation, your griefs or your sorrows. But the Word of God tells me, not the Word of man, the Word of God tells me that He will never leave me and He will never forsake me. When I walk through the waters, guess who's going to be there? When I go through the flame, guess who's going to be there? When I find myself hanging upon my own cross of grief. Guess who's going to be there? It's going to be my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to be the Lord, strong and mighty. He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. Please don't listen to the lie of the devil. When you find yourself in darkness, Please don't listen to the lie of the devil when you find yourself hanging there on the cross that will tell you God don't love you no more. God has given up on you. God's turned his back on you. God has forsaken you. God has left you. You turn right around, you look the devil in the face, and you speak the Word of God. You speak that Word that you was taught as a child. You speak that first Word that comes to your mind and to your mouth. That Word that was hidden in your heart so that you might not sin against Him and give up on Him. And you say, Satan, my God has promised me that He will never leave me. And He will never forsake me. You tell the devil, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And there's no weapon formed against me that will prosper. No weapon formed against me that's going to cause me to give up on God, to lose hope in God and trust in God and confidence in God. If God is for me, who can stand against me? You see, when you find yourself hanging on the cross like Jesus did, and he quoted the the, the 22nd Psalm, you and I got to start doing the same thing. We got to start quoting those words that have been sown into the soil of our soul from the time we were a little kid. Listen, I'm telling you right now, if you got children, you better train them up. In the ways of the Lord, you better teach them the word of God. You better bind it around their frontals, church. You better teach it to them when they rise up and when they lie down and when they walk along the way. Because one day your child will be on their own cross. They'll be found in the midst of their own darkness and they have to have a word rise up. I have to understand that he will never, 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 never leave me or forsake me. Listen, we may not see him. We may not sense him. We may not hear him. And I'm going to wind this down. If we've got music, fine. If not, God's word is good enough. We may not see him. We may not sense him. We may not hear him. We may not feel him. But he's always with us, church, even on the cross and especially on the cross. And here's what I want you to understand. And just like God shed the blood, he's always with us and he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And just like he shed the blood of a bull in the Garden of Eden in order to cover the the nakedness of Adam's sin. I don't know how many of you remember that or realize that, but the first sacrifice was in the Garden of Eden. God had to kill a bull. He had to shed blood in order to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve's sin. And 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross, he he, he shed the blood of the precious Lamb of God so that he could cover the nakedness of our sin as well, amen? And not just cover it, but wash it away. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned and God killed the bull, it just covered the sin. But when the precious Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, when He shed His blood, He took away our sin. Amen. It didn't just cover it, so that 365 days later, we would have to go before the king. We have to go before the high priest and sacrifice all over once again Jesus the precious lamb of God was the once and for all sacrifice for our sin and here's what we need to understand that it was our sin our sin Please, if you don't get anything it was our sin it was our iniquity it was our transgressions, it was our stubbornness, our pride, our ugliness, our ungodliness, our lies, our thieving, our cheating and stealing, our adultery. It was our filthiness that caused Jesus Christ to feel this searing separation from His Father. We were the reason He cried out. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He was forsaken. The eyes of His Holy Father turned away from Jesus Christ so that He could look down on you tonight with a smile on His face and say, I love you, my son, and I love you, my daughter. I hope we understand what this fourth cry is all about. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced a pain that you and I don't ever have to experience. He experienced a grief and a sorrow and a separation from the Father that you and I never, ever have to experience. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Because you and I were filled with sin. That's why. Because you and I needed a redeemer. Because you and I needed a propitiation. A substitute for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for... Our iniquities, the chastisement, the punishment for our peace was placed on his shoulders. And by his stripes, we are healed. Amen. How many of you are thankful that God or Jesus took on our humanity? Amen. Stand to your feet. Here's how we're simply going to close. I don't know about you. This might sound harsh. It might sound mean. It might sound like something that really should never come from our lips, especially if we love God and love Jesus. But I'm glad Jesus was rejected so that I might be accepted. I'm glad he became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. I'm glad Jesus became a man so that I could become a son or a daughter of God. Amen. You see, you're a daughter and I'm a son. You're a son. You're a daughter. Because Jesus became a man. He became like us. How many of you are thankful not just for his divinity, but for his humanity? Amen. Here's how I'm going to end. If you feel like you're hanging on a cross, if you feel like God is a million miles away. If that's your cry tonight, my God, my God, where are you? Don't you understand what I'm going through? I'm just going to give an opportunity if the prayer team's here, if they're not fine. But if you feel like you're on the cross tonight and you feel like God's a million miles away and you need to find comfort on the cross. I'm going to invite you to come just for a moment. We've got a little bit of time. I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to pray with you. And we're going to ask God to give you the strength and the courage to endure on the cross. Amen. Just for a moment. Come. If you feel like you need a touch from God, if you feel like you need God's comfort, if you feel like that's me, please don't miss the opportunity. That's me. I'm the one with that cry. I feel like God is a million. Not because I've sinned or done anything horrible or evil. I just feel like God's a million miles away. God wants to comfort you on the cross tonight. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. Let somebody pray with you. If you don't come, that's fine. You just, you just communicate with God. Amen. But we're going to pray together this evening. Father God. I'm giving opportunity for individuals to come. I know they don't have to be here to pray this prayer, but as a demonstration, Father God, of of their needing you and wanting you and desiring you, their desire to find comfort on the cross, I pray that they would respond to this word, God, and that they would come forth and that they would find you right there on the cross with them in the midst of their darkness. In the midst of their sorrow or in the midst of their grief. I thank you, God, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. I thank you that you were not just divine, but that your Son was man just as well. And help us to understand, God, the, the depths of this cry, the depths of these words that He cried aloud as He hung on Calvary's cross. Help us to understand that. He took on our flesh and he stepped into our skin so that he could conquer our sin. And I thank you that you've done that, God. I thank you that you've conquered our sin. I thank you that you've overcome our sin, that you've overcome death and the grave, Lord God, and that you've made it possible for us to be your sons and daughters. I thank you for the, the forgiveness that you brought into our life. I thank you for the promise of, of paradise. I, I thank you, Father God, that we have been made part of the family of God, that we can call you Abba, Father, and that you have called us your children. I thank you that Jesus was all God and all man at the same time. And that He was intimately acquainted with all of our ways, with all of our griefs and all of our sorrows. I thank you that He bore our griefs and bore our sorrows on Calvary's cross so that we might not have to. So God, if there's anyone here this evening bearing grief or bearing sorrow feeling the weight of the cross feeling some sort of separation from you tonight god i pray that you would reveal yourself to them like you never have before you might not answer their prayer like you like they want you to but you're there anyway help us father god as your children to endure Help us to hang in there like Jesus did. Help us, Father God, not to throw in the towel. Help us not to give up on You or give up even on ourselves, Father God, but to trust in You, to rest in You, to have complete confidence in You, Father. Because, Father... Here on Calvary's cross, when it seemed like you were doing nothing, you did the greatest work that you ever did. You, you redeemed all of mankind. So, Father God, when we find ourselves in that place where it seems like you're doing nothing, help us to understand you're doing the greatest work you've ever done. Help us to understand that you're doing something deep and wondrous in our life, just like you did on Calvary's cross. Help us to hang in and help us to endure. Most of all, we praise you for your son and we praise you for the cross. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord one more time this evening, church? God's good. Amen. Let me close with this. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure not to leave you alone on your cross. It's It's God's good pleasure to do a wondrous work in your life. His word also says that he who has began a good work in you is faithful to complete that work. Please understand, wherever you are and whatever you're going through, God's not finished with you yet. God's not done doing His wondrous work. Amen? He is faithful to complete that work, and He will keep on working until He calls us home. Amen? So when you leave here and the devil tries to get in your face, all you got to tell him is, God's not done yet, Satan. He's still doing a wondrous work in my life. He's still doing a wondrous work in my marriage. He's still doing a wondrous work in my body. He's still doing a wondrous work in my mind. He's still doing a wondrous work in every area of my life. And you rest in that. And you trust in that. And you sleep in that just like Jesus slept in the midst of the storm on a stormy sea. So go home and sleep tonight. Amen? amen. Knowing God is still doing a wondrous work. Bless him as you go. Amen. If you have a further need, we'll tarry and pray with you. Otherwise, go and be blessed and celebrate Jesus' humanity. If you got something to sing us out with, you can or just play.